Let me see if I can find my way to what I wanted to say today from that. Um, no, 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 it's good. Because it's kind of what I want to share today, but it, there's a nuance here that, you know, it, if we're not careful with it, we just kind of glaze over it. And we think that everybody uh, hears things the same way. And, and that's not the case. <clears throat> if you remember when, uh, well, if you go, to, go to, in John chapter, you'll know the scripture. In John chapter 1, it tells us that Jesus was the word, right? In the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was with God. And then verse 14, and the word of God became flesh, took upon itself flesh. And what we, do you know who we're talking about here? Does everyone know who we're talking about? We're talking about the fact that Jesus himself was the word of God, right? Focus on that for a moment. That means if you go to Luke chapter 2, this is in the early season of Jesus' life. You'll all remember the story. Uh, all of you moms remember the story for sure because uh, Mary and Joseph had gone to Jerusalem and with their whole posse of family and all that kind of stuff, they wouldn't travel onesies like we would today. They took a whole caravan of people. As they're leaving Jerusalem, they're a day's journey out and they discover, oops, we don't have Jesus. Uh, and so they hightail it back and they find Jesus. You remember where they found Jesus? They found Jesus at the, at the, at the iPhone store. No, he didn't, wasn't at the iPhone store. He was in, in the temple. What was he doing in the temple? Making all kinds of problems for the, for the teachers? No. He was debating, discussing, asking questions about the scriptures. It's a very important point here. And then Jesus, then his parents come to him and say, dude, what's up with you? Been looking for you for a couple of days. Didn't you notice that we weren't around? And then Jesus kind of, Ian's paraphrase, of course. Then Jesus looked at them and said, what? Do you remember what he said? He said, uh, why have you been worried about me? Why have you been looking for me? It would be obvious that you would think I am about my father's business, right? And so we know then, and it goes on to the end of Luke 2 there, and it says that Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. He grew. That's kind of, well, I don't know about that. And that word grew is the word, help me, Jesus, prokopto, Prokopto is made of two words, pro in advance, uh, or ahead of the ahead of, and copto, which means to beat with a hammer to make it larger. Oh. Or stronger, I guess could also be. And so we have here Jesus prokoptoed, he grew as in with the beating of a hammer in wisdom in stature, and in favor with God and man. So consider what you might have thought about Jesus's, Jesus as he was coming up to become Jesus, as it were. Right. Oh, he always was Jesus, you understand? He was, you know, it's a little complicated in the, because we look at everything from a time perspective. We see chronological things happening where certain things are going to be chronological and certain things are going to be established. Jesus was always the son of God, but guess what? So were you. Are you a son of Adam? Anybody in here not a son of Adam? We do need to know that, actually. That's... So we all are, right? So we are all descendants of Adam, who was the son of God, right? That's who we are as human beings. That's why we're humans are different than other, folk, other uh, species. And when we come in, we realize that what Jesus was doing as he came from being the son of God, now slight difference between what, and it's going to be an important nuance right here, in who Jesus was as a human compared to who you were as a human. <clears throat> but safe to say, when Jesus went and he took hold of the word of God, when he studied the scriptures, he saw something in the scriptures and that became him. So literally, if you were to meet Jesus, Jesus was the incarnation, the physical presence <clears throat> of the word of God right in front of you. Now watch what happened though. Then Jesus comes and he begins to step out in ministry. He begins to do some stuff that was pretty awesome. And the people that he had the most trouble with were who? The, I'm sorry? The Pharisees, they get such a bad rap. Because who were the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Do you know who they were? 
the Pharisees, they were a sect of Judaism. You know how you have Baptists and you have Catholics and you have, you know, swing from the chandeliers and you have all kinds of different denominations of people in, Catholic, in Christianity. <clears throat> that was how it was in, in, in the Judaism too. There was all kinds of different groupings of them who all believed slightly different, followed slightly different things. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were like crazy word of God, uh, uh, Old Testament people. It was very likely that they could recite the entire Old Testament. Not Psalm 91. The entire (laughs) Old Testament by heart. That's how much these people were crazy about the Old Testament. But wait a minute. They met the Old Testament. The Old Testament showed up one day and said, Heidi Ho. <laughs> what was the problem? What was the problem? They didn't recognize this book that they had been studying their entire lives. When they met him, in person, a person who was demonstrating the word that they had been studying their entire lives, they did not recognize him. Why? 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 Can I tell you why? <laughs> Probably have to sit through it anyway, so I don't know why I ask. The problem was, is that when you have a non covenant heart you cannot see the same things that a covenant heart sees you see when we read the old testament maybe before i was raised catholic uh and when i used to relate to the old testament i don't know that i ever did relate this way but i have met to a lot of people who read through the old testament and they see an angry, vengeful, bloodthirsty, judgmental kind of a God. I think that's what the Pharisees saw. That's why they became angry and judgmental and, and all of these bad things. When they looked at the Old Testament and said, this is who God is, I want to be like God. Somehow, Jesus went to the same Old Testament, read the same books, and just saw a completely different God. He saw a God that was protecting his people like a mother protects her baby. He saw a God with a plan to rescue all of humanity instead of a God who couldn't wait to smite them. The only difference was that Jesus, when he saw the same words, the same sentences, the same books that these Pharisees saw, he saw a completely different person. That is what God is doing in our lives right now. He's taking us from people who maybe saw God as vengeful, You don't want God to send you to hell, right? You better get up here and pray this prayer now. Because there's a bus out there with your name on it. Right? Sometimes we heard stuff like that. Like God couldn't wait to get us. That if we stepped out of line, Jesus doesn't love us anymore. All of these kind of concepts that have been brought to us, the, the Father's love letter. You know, people talk to us about God, but they didn't know God. See, they read the book. Oh, yeah, 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 they read the book. But they didn't read it from an understanding of covenant. Right? You you two, come here. Think about how you want me to respond to this. Do you think I like Mike? Okay, probably, you're right. That's probably not true. You think I tolerate Mike? Okay, so, no, I love Mike. I think he's a great guy. Do you all love Mike? Anybody in here love Mike? Okay. I love Jessica too, right? Watch. 
<laughs> That's my point. What would happen if Mike took off to slap Jess? I'd hide what? <laughs> what did I kill him? Would any of you be uh, against the fact that I would kill him? Right? Nobody in the room would be against, they would want to watch. Can I have the video of this? Does that, now remember I start off by saying I love Mike. Don't I love Mike? Right? But when it comes to my, my daughter, or if maybe if I had Tina here, I'd give you a better example where it was a covenant partner, right? It doesn't mean I don't love Mike. It just means that he's going to slap Tina or Jessica, whatever. And he out, right? He's out. <laughs> I wouldn't need to protect Tina. That would just be, that's what you're all thinking, right? What are you, you're redundant at that point. Do you understand the problem here? Is you see, when all I see is me killing Mike, you're thinking, what a terrible person Ian is. Until you realize, what's the motive here? What am I actually doing? And that's where people have thinking. That's where people have not understood. When we understand how covenant works, simply by looking at how would I respond if somebody tried to come and hurt my covenant partner? Of course I'd slap him down. I'd, that would be, I, I know people, okay? We deal with this. You see, when you understand it from a covenant perspective, all of a sudden now we can go back to the Bible and we can reread the Bible from a different perspective that I have become a covenant person. Now I know what it would be like for God to respond because I'm thinking about how would I respond if I recognized that God is doing everything from a position of covenant. Everything. God is love. God is covenant. Everything God has ever done has always been for the purpose of blessing his covenant people. Which started out, unfortunately, for a lot of the nations that, are, uh, that were around throughout the Old Testament, that wasn't them. Jeepers. Okay, I need you to hear this very carefully. It'll be on video if you all tell that I said something I didn't say. How many people on the planet today does God think he's in covenant with? Careful with your answer. This is the right answer. All of them. From God's perspective, the sin of this world that has kept people away from him has already been paid for. Is that true? When, okay, wait. Okay, wait. You got Because this is doctrinally super important if you want to disconnect from this religious side of Christianity that says we got something that nobody else got. You do got something that nobody else got. Not because God's any different. That make, so, okay, let, watch this. When were your sins paid for? How? When? At the cross, which was from the foundation of the world. When did you experience that? Right? You didn't experience it from the foundation of the world. Right? You experienced it all the way around from a world that was as far away, like Nadine was saying, living on top of the pile on the outside, but the bottom of the pile on the inside. We've been around and back. Not because Jesus didn't pay the price for your sin, didn't separate you from the consequences, not restore you completely to God. The problem is nobody bothered to tell you that so that you could step into a different relationship. God's thinking, I'm in love with Ian. Ian thinking, God's totally mad at me, can't wait to smite me, so I better, I better live life all I can while I'm on this planet, because I guess I'm going to have to go to hell for all the bad things that I've done. Who made that up? God did not say that to you. God said, wait a minute, dude, I put Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. Your, your bills are already paid. It's like worrying about your cell phone bill and then go for a whole month and then go and find out that somebody else paid it. 
You mean I could have not worried the entire month? Mm Mm-hmm. When we realize that it is the entire work of the New Testament is for me to come to the place where I understand that I have been, uh, 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 that all my life I have had access to the covenant of God. I just never understood it. I was just a Pharisee or a pagan. Neither of them having access to the understanding that God had always been in the business of gathering to himself as many covenant-minded people as he possibly could. Even the Jewish nation has mechanisms inside of it, which I think was supposed to go around the world, by the way, where people can think about the Jews and what God is doing in their lives and saying, forget about being a Ugandan, man. I want to be a Jew. A nip and a tuck and you're in. And you could get all the way back into that place where even though you were not born a Jew, because Abraham was not born a Jew either, BTW, we could get in there the same way. Then Paul comes along and he says, the, 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 the New Testament now, the Christians have been grafted in to a vine. Sure, a lot of the pieces of that vine have been cut off. God did not interested in cutting off those pieces. He said, those pieces have been cut off and, that, and, and then there is now room for a whole bunch of other people, you and I, unless you're Jewish, you and I have been grafted into a vine that has been growing for thousands of years. The, the big question, how do we get grafted in? Is grafting, have you know anything about botanical things? Abraham, how are you? Nice to see you, sir. Welcome here. I'm glad you're home. Um, botanical things, the, 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 the actual work, it's not just, you know, I don't know if you know how to do that. You ever, ever done grafting? No? If, if Paul was here. Paul could give us some. Anyways, you cut the, you cut the branch and you put, a, you put this piece and you put a pin, like a sharp in the end of it, and you put it inside that little slit and you close it up like a wound and you let the things grow together until the two pieces actually become one piece. Jeepers, I wonder what that sounds like. Is that pray a prayer one day and then skip church the rest of your life? Does that sound like this kind of a thing? doesn't sound like that. It sounds like when you get married, doesn't it? Like you become grafted, the two become one person. Doesn't it sound like that? You see, what God is talking about in this whole grafting process is the same thing. Just using another metaphor and many, 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 many metaphors that are talking about this covenant experience. When I am willing to sever my life from one side of things and graft myself into another side. I think this selfish, non-governmental, me first, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can way that I was trained and say, I'm done with that. It's not necessarily easy to be just done. took me 20 years to get done with that way of thinking. And then you've done that, you step into a whole, the pastor is saying, a whole different way of thinking. So let's look at it. Go to Romans chapter four. In Romans chapter four, but what, in verse three, and what what saith the scripture? Because you know what we really want to know is, How do you become a covenant-minded person? Based on that formula, I can read my Bible. Let's watch this now. I can read my Bible all my life and never see anything that it says because my initial perspective toward the Bible is wrong. That's what the Pharisees did. That's what the Sadducees did. That's what religious people do today. Why we have such a bad rap in the world today is because we're vindictive, judgmental, hypocritical which is all the product of reading the Bible. It's like, I, I find it so, I find, pe- I find people quite humorous. How many of you know that? <laughs> I do, actually. 
Do you know, people can be very tolerant. That's a beautiful word in, a word in our culture. But you you're become tolerant of, of everybody except those who are intolerant. Right? And you start becoming intolerant of people who are intolerant. Isn't that right? Like ju- loving people. Like people become loving people and then they start judging all the other people who aren't being loving people and then they become unloving people towards those unloving people. Can I say, even the world does that? There's nothing special about somebody coming in and saying, the world would be better if everybody was loving. What is it when I oh, actually, you should be saying, I would become better if I was loving. I don't care about you. I don't care what you do. You do whatever you like. But you see, we want to become religious, take hold of this intellectual work, and then judge everybody else with this intellectual standard that I have now adopted, even though I don't live it my, my way myself, necessarily. Instead, becoming a covenant-minded person becomes that person who wants to pull on all the goodness of God because I'm so busy trying to bless other people. When we become that, when we understand that, we become a completely different person when we are reading the exact same book that people read who become judgmental and unloving in the name of being tolerant and loving. Are you in Romans chapter four yet? (laughs) Chapter three, verse three. And this is what it says, because we want to know how in the world, there's one guy, Abraham, who started this whole ball rolling. No human being, can I say this unequivocally? No human being, no act, no successful completion of something ever complete, done by a human being can compare to what was accomplished by this guy, Abraham. Abraham has literally transformed the very course of human history. A mark that is still being made today. He is the father of the Jews. He is the father of the Arabs. And he is the, and then by extension from the Jews, all Christians. Uh, Christian, well, Christians who qualify under what I'm about to say to you. Think about that. What an effect this one man has had on the course of humankind and the history of humanity. And Paul says here, Abraham did that, verse three, four, verse, uh, chapter four, verse three, are you there in your Bibles? He did that because he believed God. Amen. That's what Tina is saying, Pastor Tina is saying. When God says to do something, do you believe in him or not? So many times I have heard this scripture quoted that you believe in God. Can I tell you something? The devil believes in God. He's had some very traumatic experiences actually with God. There is no doubt that the devil believes in God. There is no miracle in believing in God. Most people on this planet, I know that the atheist agnostic people are very loud, but there's not a lot, not very many of them. Seems like there's a lot, but there's not. Most people to some degree believe there's something out there, but mankind has been like that for all eternity. From the very beginning, there was things that people were doing. Most of our, our, our understanding of the ancient past of humans is because of their worship, because of their temples, because of their this, that, or the other. We know we've been doing this kind of stuff for a long time. It doesn't matter that you believe in God. It, be- it matters that you believe God. Go back to Genesis chapter 15. This is where this is quoted from. And it's talking about God. Now, and you focus. There's so much stuff in Genesis chapter uh, 12. If you read Genesis 12 all the way to the end of Genesis, read it a whole bunch of times. If you want to understand covenant, the secrets that are written inside of this section of your Bible are extraordinary. 
We're meeting this fellow, Abraham. Now we meet the guy in Genesis chapter 12. And God talks about Genesis chapter 12. I need you, you live in, he lived at that time in Ur. Ur is south of Baghdad in, uh, in Iraq, halfway between Baghdad and, what's the sea right there? The something would be the, um, no, Mediterranean. <laughs> I'm going to say it's the Persian Gulf right here. Anyways. It's a long way away. Abraham, God says to Abraham, this is where all your focus from. This is your network. This is your system. This is where you trust. This is where your posse is. This is where your, your, your trade is. This is where you, all of that happens. So I need you to get out of here. Talk to his dad first. Get out of here and go where I send you. And so Abraham's dad goes to Haran. Haran is in Lebanon. And so it was, he went all the way from, from over here up over to Lebanon, which is here. Promised land is down here. And then when he sets up here, he goes, Abraham then goes, finally gets down to the area where the promised land is. I presume it would be somewhere in the geographic vicinity of Jerusalem because of the whole Isaac thing. And so God tells him, I need you to get rid of all the other things that you're gonna trust in. I need you to trust in me, yes or no? I don't believe God just said that to Abraham. I believe God was offering that deal to a whole bunch of people. The only problem is, ain't nobody want to go. And then you get into Genesis 13 now. You have the nitwit Lot, I mean the, uh, the, 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 the nephew, sorry, Lot, who they're having all of these trouble with, you know, too many sheep and all that kind of stuff. So they're having all these problems. You know, the, the nitwit, I mean, the nephew goes down to all of the world and all of a sudden gets himself into all kinds of trouble there. Do you remember that story? Right, what is, what, is, what is God proving inside of Abraham? First, he was proving inside of him that he would trust God. Second part of it is, are you a covenant person? Are you gonna go and rescue the, ne the nephew uh, because he's done this terrible thing? Do you, are you gonna go after his captors? Deal with them on behalf of your, your blood family. He passes that test. Sherda Leomer shows up on the scene, captures Lot. Abraham decides, I'm going to go down and get all of these guys, fix them all up, deal with business, comes home, interacts with this Melchizedek fella, and, and gives him his tithes. So we see God going, taking Abraham through some very important testing process. One, will you trust me? Two, are you a covenant person? Three, are you a tither? The offerings are over, but think about it. And then Abraham shows up in the beginning of Genesis chapter 15. God says to him, Abraham, a couple of verses there. Abraham, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. I used to wonder, why would God give Abraham a shield until I realized he was about to tell him he needs to go tell Sarah, we're going to start again. <laughs> Trying to have a baby. But you know what? That wasn't really what God was saying. Because God had already been Abraham's exceeding great reward. Says Abraham, chapter 14 says Abraham is very rich. He was already his shield. Abraham was going up against nations of people. Sure, Deleomer was a king of an entire nation, and he had a couple other kings that were working with him. So this guy, one guy, Abraham, just a guy, a civilian decides he's going to go out after these people, these war-trained nations, and Abraham wins. You see, what Abraham, God was coming to Abraham and saying, I am it. You have been operating now in this covenant strength. Now I'm going to really bless you. Because Abraham's kind of got a little knit on him at this point because he's saying, you know what? I don't really care that you're shield and buckler and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't got no kids. Abraham was a bit deluded about what kids actually took out of life, but he said, I've got no kids. And God says to him, I'm going to bring forth a descendant out of your very loins. And Abraham's thinking, man, I've seen people rout armies before. I've seen people who wander like sojourners and still make it work, you know? But I ain't ever seen 
a 172-year-old woman. You see, what he needed now was something only God could do. God was pushing him, pushing his vision. Can I tell you something? Visions stop at the impossible. Then they come fairy tales. They become wish lists. What you expect to do with your life some of it feels real. Maybe get to Florida, sit on the beach for 10 days, come back, pay the bill off your visa. Maybe you can do that. But to get where God wants you to go is so far beyond impossible that your brain can't grab it. Like the Lord said, beyond your wildest dreams. I said, God, that's not how the world works. If I can't see it, I can't be it. Isn't that true? Haven't you heard those very words from this pulpit? But God comes to you and says, where you're going, you can't even see it right now. And I'm saying, you can't go there, God. Hint, parentheses, don't correct God. <laughs> Ask God how do you see beyond what you presently think is impossible? Abraham had a snit on because as far as he was concerned, there was nothing God could do. And God says, I'm gonna fix that. Abraham's question to God was, how will I know? How do I know I can trust you? <laughs> Earlier on, how do I know I can believe you? And that's what then what God, what does God do? God has the vision where Abraham, you know, the cows are lined up and God comes and splits the cows in half. The two burning furnaces are like little fire pots walking through the muck and the goo of the, what's God showing him? He's saying, I'm cutting a covenant with you. This isn't just me being on your team. This is me and you becoming one person. You see, what God was trying to do inside of Abraham was he was trying to transform the very way the human race lived. The problem was, where am I? The problem was it didn't translate real well. You see this guy now, imagine Abraham, mighty man. The name of Abraham goes all over the place because he was able to make a baby with a 90-year-old woman. He'd be famous today. <laughs> and, but then what happens is that now it's Isaac's turn. This was the problem. You had this amazing guy who knew how to believe God. You see a little bit of Isaac. He's starting to do the same thing his dad did. Remember the famine? And he sowed in the famine and reaped a hundredfold return. But Isaac didn't know how to get the God of the impossible to do any more than fill the barns up so we eat good. It was Isaac's job to go and take over the whole promised land. If you can sow in a time of famine, you know, if you don't, me at all, I hate buying stuff when the economy's good. I hate it. I like buying stuff about 10 days after everything collapses and it's on 50% off. Is that true? Because then your money goes so much farther because now you're buying it on, on a sale. I love that. <laughs> I love buying stuff when people want to sell it. I don't want to buy stuff when people don't want to sell it. Isaac could have taken over the whole promised land with this one gift that he understood from his father. But instead, he was not covenant-minded. He always said, oh dear, famine, fill up barns. Keep it all to myself. Get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can. Giving up 
the destiny that was not going to be fulfilled for another 500 years after a lot of travel and a lot of people involved. For God to get all the way down to Egypt, all the way through Moses, all the way back around again to get Joshua to come back to the promised land and take over. Isaac could have done all that. In the midst of a famine, he could have bought it all for nothing. But he didn't have a covenant mind. The vision that Isaac had was so small. God was trying to get him to think out there. Think the way a covenant person thinks. If Warren Buffett came in here today, slit his wrist and slit your wrist and said, I'm covenanted with you, you'd go, dude, forget the wrist. Give me the wallet. <laughs> your life would change if you had that happen to you, wouldn't it? If he says, I'll give you, you know, his quote for his kids is, I'll give them enough so that they, I won't, uh, I'll give, I won't give them so much that they can do nothing. I'll give them enough so that they can do anything. Yeah. What are you saying? I'll, you can have whatever you want as long as you do something with it. Your life would completely change. See, Isaac didn't get it. Even when, as you see, the problem is coming up at about now because Isaac, Isaac is looking for a girl folk. Now his dad could get Isaac out of nothing. Now all of a sudden we're tripping and falling because Isaac needs a wife. What? Why don't you just go build one out of clay and go poof like we did last time? Why doesn't God get the job of picking the wife, getting a wife for Isaac instead? You know where they go? They go to Haran. You know the Haran up here? Lebanon, sorry. The going up and... Go, we're going backwards. We're going backwards to find the wife. And then, and then Jacob show up, right? Now you have this Jacob guy who has got a really bad understanding of what covenant is. The guy's coming out as a deceiver, as a manipulator. Somebody who is a super good schemer, a good politician. You know, thinking if Isaac would have taken over the promised land when he was opposed to, the thing he needed most would have been a politician, which he got in Jacob. But we didn't own nothing at this time. We had no need of a politician. So Jacob be wandering around all the time, not knowing why have I been given the gifts that I've been given, getting them all messed up. Then his mom, Rebecca, who come from Haran, Gets Jacob in trouble. Remember the whole skin on the arm kind of a thing, getting dad's blessing, which should have gone to brother Esau. By the way, Esau, awesome good at conquering territory. Anybody mess with, uh, with uh, 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 Jacob have to deal with Esau. So you got this perfect duel of men in the family who you get any trouble in the promised land in the way order is being happening? You got one guy, the enforcer, Esau, the other guy, the politician, Jacob. Perfect, solid. There would never have been a problem if they would have done it right. But here we are, the covenant family. Abraham, the guy who understood covenant, the first guy ever to understand what covenant was, did not bother showing and teaching it to his child, Isaac, or to his grandchild, Jacob, and Jacob, duh, Rebecca, the mom, gets him in trouble with Esau. Esau, big and ugly. So mom, Rebecca says, I need to get you out of town, Jack. This guy going to kill you. <laughs> so where does she send him? She sends him to her brother, guy named Laban. Now, you could see on this side of the room would be a covenant-minded person. On this side of the room, actually outside at the end of the parking lot, be the guy named Laban. Laban was the exact antithesis of what it meant to be a covenant person. He was going to rip Jacob off, break the vows, make him work like a dog, never pay him. The only way the guy got paid was because God did a miracle. Otherwise, we would still know that Jacob today, the guy that didn't get paid. Because Laban had no interest in being a covenant-minded person. Right. What happened to the blessing? It was gone. Covenant had vanished. 
we find Jacob again and his 12 kids, 11 by this time, are back into another famine. So daddy never had no famine. Isaac had a famine, knew how to sow, get a hundredfold. Jacob had a famine, went to Egypt, borrowed money from Pharaoh. You could see what had happened. The whole thing, this enormously powerful gift of a covenant understanding had been lost in three generations. And God raises up this kid, Joseph. Remember the Gucci coat? The, raises up this kid and decides that he's going to teach him covenant. He's going to give him some dreams. He's going to separate him from his family. You know, the guy lived out in the, in the bush his whole life. Separate him from his family. Betrayed by his kinfolk. But he's got the dream. He's hooked up with God. Oh, God. Like Abraham, Joseph believed God. He believed the dream that God gave him was going to come to pass. And what happened? Does anybody remember? Now we have this mighty Pharaoh, mighty armies of Pharaoh. He goes down there. Joseph goes, ends up down there, and he takes over all of the world of Pharaoh. How did he do that? By understanding what to do in times of famine, which was exactly what the family legacy was all about here. See, we famine folk. We know how to prosper in the middle of a famine. That's our particular gift. So you've got him here in Egypt using the gift to make Pharaoh wealthy. But in the meantime, gets the family of, of Abraham, the nation of Israel, gets back on top of their game. Woo! God, through covenant, watch your life. You're in here. God, through the covenant, understanding, getting that covenant ability, Joseph knowing that God was with him, that he could laugh in the prison, that he could fight all, all the way through his life. He could keep going because he knew the God that gave him the vision is the God going to bring it to pass. Yes. That sounds a little like covenant to me. He wasn't worried about where God was taking him, what's the direction, the pit, you know, the, the prison, all of these. That's okay, it's cool. I know where I'm going, folk. You know, I know I'm going. Could be some potholes on the way, but I know I'm going. That's the way covenant happens on the inside. I know what God said. I know where I'm going. We go, almost like there's a little, like a commercial break. In the nation of Israel at this point, as we take a 500 years, 400 years where we don't hear about the Israelites until we hear about this guy, Moses. Joseph is the head honcho in Egypt. The, Israel, the, the nation of Israel now has been brought up to be the most powerful people on the entire planet. 400 years later, we meet Moses. Moses is born to a slave family who live under the boot of Pharaoh. How did that happen? Can I tell you? It happened exactly the same way. They lost an understanding of who they were. You can hear in a few of their chants now what's going to be key here. Their chants were, why isn't God doing something? You hear Moses when he finally meets God on the side of the mountain. His question to God is, why can't you hear the cries of your people? See, Moses was not a covenant-minded person. He was seeing God the way the Pharisees see God. If I was God, I would have slapped Moses and I'd have said, Moses, why do you think you exist? Because Moses, because God could see the end of the story. This is the key. It's that God begins to interact with Moses. He turns Moses into a covenant-minded person, realizing 
It is not me having to go with my whip and sword and take down the Egyptian army. This is now me and God. What did God say to Moses? He said, I will go with you. Here is my name. It's the problem with Christianity. We all think we have the name. You know, Tina didn't get my name until she got a ring and an I do. She didn't get my name when I thought she was cute from across the parking lot. Right? You get the name in covenant. And you see then, you see God interacting with Moses. Now it turned him into a different person. It, it caused him to be able to go right into the courtrooms of Pharaoh, the most powerful army in the world, and demand that he tear down his economy for the sake of Moses. His economy was built on the backs of slaves. Covenant changes you on the inside. One, it removes the boundary of the impossible because you know God is so as much on the other side of impossible as he is on this side of impossible. The second thing that happens is you start realizing that your life, like Moses' life, is called for a very specific purpose. That everything you do in covenant, you do together with God. He is the very battery that is on the inside of the mechanism of your life. Everything about your destiny is about his destiny. It's a divine assignment. See, if all we do all of our lives is we, we just sort of huddle in the corner, just worried about me and mine, we never realize God wants to use our lives to step into this realm of covenant. What it really means for a human being to be indwelt with the very presence of God for the very purpose of bearing fruit so that your life can herald the great gift of covenant and what it means to be in covenant with Almighty God. As you start stepping beyond all the fears that you used to have, stepping beyond all the taunts of those that would try to oppress you in your vision, Almost those are unseen realities in your life because you've become so aware of the magnitude of what it means that God is with you. It transforms the very way we understand the life that is yet to come for us. See, if God could remove the boundaries, if we could finally tear back the veil and have a good look at why our lives exist. Like Moses, Moses, a son of a slave family, was going to set up his own nation and take over by his son, his whatever son, spiritual son, Joshua. He was gonna take over the most prized piece of real estate on the planet. This slave boy. All that had to happen to Moses is all that has to happen to you. When God sets your vision free, I'm no longer inhibited by what might seem to be What can anybody from Fort Erie do exactly? Never mind, I'm from the east side of Uganda. A city that's been flattened, doesn't even exist anymore. They rebuilt it, but the one I was born in ain't even there anymore. What could they, God use us for? Can I tell you? When God 
is able to get us to understand that we are covenant people. The whole world is going to transform. This is why Joshua shouted. It's why Esther approached. It's why Samson fought. It's why Shadrach stood. It's why David ran. And it's why Daniel slept. All because they knew God was with them. Put your hand over your heart. Say, Lord, I need you to set my dreams free. I need to see beyond what I have seen so far. You want my mind beyond my wildest dreams. Because when you can get me to see it, you can get me to be it. I'm no longer limited by my own human abilities, by my own natural attributes. Certainly, you'll use them. But you're going to empower them to change the world, to fill it in my part, with the covenant of God. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray your life was impacted by the service and that you were able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him but have been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross so that you and I could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. So if you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then repeat the simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and have been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. Help me believe in you and love you every day. Help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you just made to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey, but most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we'd love to send you uh, with some easy steps on how to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.